It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK and a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, broadcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. Aren't we all this week? And so, in an effort to make sense of the latest parliamentary shenanigans, and more importantly, to figure out what might happen next, I spoke to two experts this week. First, Dr Alan Wager, research associate at UK Interchanging Europe, who stepped in when his boss, Anand Menon, was called upon to explain Brexit to the masses on the Jeremy Vine show on Radio 2, and then fly to a mystery location. And secondly... Asa Bennett, Brexit commissioning editor at The Telegraph, a man entirely steeped in all things Brexit. One thing a little bit different about this week's podcast, we started with 10 minutes of general chit-chat, but using my editing skills, skills with a Z because I am that cool, I've cut that bit and moved it to the end. So you've got 20 minutes of hardcore, but always light-hearted policy chat, uh, a little bit of music, and then, if you're so inclined, you can stick around for 10 minutes of more tangential. Tangential? Is that a word? Tangential Brexit chat encompassing Doctor Who, Gwyneth Paltrow, and the power of Christmas. If you stick around to the end, you'll be rewarded by me with some summing up and parish notices and all that at the end. So, enjoy! So, next week, hmm. fun and games. We got a vote on Tuesday hmm. on Theresa May's deal. First of all, let's start with a very simple question. Does it pass in the vote on Tuesday? Only a, if 100 Tory MPs are liars. No, yeah, I know, but basically no. Can say yes or no? No. That's, no. that's, a, that's a no. That's a yes. no. Yeah, right, no. so we're working on the, the basis that it's not going to pass. Do we think it could pass somehow? Do you think 100 MPs, Tory MPs could be liars? <sighs> It's a big call, <laughs> and I'm. I could, think it's. To no, what extent could abstentions play a role? A role? It, you don't have to back it if you abstain. It is you're not backing the deal, are you? But for example, given that, you, that people make this argument for Labour MPs of saying maybe they could abstain, yeah. But obviously they'll have the activists chasing them down. Yes. They'll have people saying, "Where were you for yes. the moment the nation decided? Oh, I just was ill. I was on holiday. Yeah. Pairing arrangements. Yeah. You know, urgent childcare, for example. Mm. I mean, because I remember. Uh, actually, here's an interesting sort of nugget. The, um, do you, you know Jack Lepresti and Andrew Jenkins? Yes. How they... Interesting situation for them. Obviously, they are married. Andrew yes. Jenkins, vociferously anti-deal, pro-WTO Brexit. Jack Lepresti, I think, has recently got a sort of PPS ship, and he is pro-deal. <laughs> or He's got some sort of government office now, which means he has... He to, has. He's been bound in. And Dexio or International he, Trade? Yeah. Well, he's Dexio. the new guy's PPS, whatever the new guy's. Yeah, yeah. It's and it, and so it. he's pro-deal and, you know, pro-May to that set. Yeah. And they've had a bit of a, I, I'm told by an MP once that, well, obviously, they've got a child together, Clifford. Mm, yes. Or, you know, Clifford Brexit, as the, yes. as the nickname was. Uh, I remember an MP told me recently how they spotted sort of Jack, basically, and the, the Whips were trying to find him for a vote recently. Mm. And they found him in the office, in the Whips' office, just like nursing Clifford, very sort of desperate, being like, Andrea left him with me. I can't <laughs> attend the vote. So there could be... All sorts of you know trickery like that. Using to try babies, and detain that's, that's outrageous. I know, politicised um, babies. Uh, a bit of a historical precedent would be the nineteen in nineteen seventy three when we joined the European Union on the second vote, the second reading of the European Communities Act. The only 
passed that vote because five Labour and five Tories abstained. Ah. And so we wouldn't actually be in the European Union unless Labour and Conservative MPs had abstained. Yeah. Then. Mm. So, I mean, and abstentions are an important and probably a bit over, overlooked, but I mean, the amount that you'd need to have. It would talk, we were talking about ten. We were talking about ten percent okay. of MPs abstaining on the biggest yes. vote yeah. of a gen of. All right. Okay. So, so I don't know if it's likely that. Okay. So we'll proceed on the basis that the vote fails mm. on Tuesday. Um, take your pick. Who wants to go first? What next? Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be. I think there'll be a confidence vote the day the day after. Brought by. Brought by Labour. Right. Uh, and, and, that I don't, will... and I don't think it'll pass. No. And then and then I think Labour policy according to their everything they've said will then change towards pivot towards something like a referendum but then I don't know whether there'll be the numbers in parliament for that so the confidence vote is them trying to get an election which they've said they want more than anything that fails they go okay the election's off the table so now we try and get rewinding back they need to I mean, the big thing is I mean the scale of the defeat I mean so we are thinking about the numbers whether it's 50 or 100 in, in British politics we're used to talking in binary terms Something you either win or you lose. Mm, yeah. mm. You know, it's a majoritarian system. Yes. And, and, and the referendum and its outcome has actually been governed in part by this idea that we live in a, a, a system of yes. winners and losers. Yes. Whereas mm. actually this time it's scale of loss. Is it? Shades of grey. Yeah, it looks like it. If it's, if it's lost by 50, then that's very different to being lost by 150. Because then so it could be salvageable. No, it's not, though, is it? In a, in a, in, as you say, in a system right. we have, if he loses by one, it's the same as losing to 150. She loses. Well, no, because 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 she'll survive the confidence vote. It's the new system of the fixed-term Parliament Act means she's shielded. It's not a, it's not a, a matter of confidence. So, because because she won't lose the confidence vote in all likelihood. Mm. Does it, I mean, does the scale of the defeat only matter? Because it means that if there's to be a second vote on it, you know, mm. she could persuade one person by giving them a new bypass. She can't yeah. build 150 bypasses. Well, she could, but it's <laughs> unlikely. Um, well, I mean, actually, so what do you think? Do you think, this, do you think if, it's, if, if it's a scalable, if it's perceived to be a scalable hurdle, do you think mm. she'll be able to cling on? And I, th- I think it's fascinating because obviously the expectations management right now is all over the place, yeah. given that we've seen the publicly declared yes. 103-ish or so Tory MPs. At the same time, Jacob Rees-Mogg trying to backpedal, suggesting it could be, you know, as a matter of a few. Just yes, a I see uh, Steve Baker last night was tweeting exactly. uh, 50 is the new benchmark. Exactly. And, yeah, I, and I, he can't count, so I do wonder who knows what he means by that. <laughs> Give them time now. You know, the same thing though. I think that you're right that the variable on, let's say, if it's a loss of um, 50 or under, will matter for Theresa May and her team and what they feel can be salvaged from this. Because they might say, if it's, the, if it's that sort of amount, then they can argue that, you know, they can have another go at this. They can try and sort of come back to the EU saying, please, you know, ch- twiddle a few things around, print it on different sheets of paper or something, <laughs> uh, you know, make it a different colour. I don't know, just sort of um, maybe strengthen the language a bit about how we'll really, really try and consider technological solutions, really hard promise, you know. The magic robots, and, the magic robots. And the thing yeah. is, knowing that she can try and then come back to them and save Parliament, OK, seriously, I haven't prepared enough for no deal. What are you guys doing? Can we please have this deal? I mean, I'm you know not, not condoning this, but that clearly will be her hope of thinking she can try and like inch this forward somehow. You know, we want to get on with it. We want to get on with it, mm-hmm. and that you know, sort of that, therefore it could be uh, rescuable. However, mm-hmm. if it's more than fifty, mm-hmm. the, and the same time, of course, by the way, if there's that no confidence, forty-eight letters suddenly gets hit. I, I can't help feeling that maybe the problem, the thing that will keep us safe in that scenario, is the kind of listlessness of oh god, do we want to be in this position right now, tail end with the backstop, we can't yeah. change this. But if it's more than 50, basically, she might have to consider it such an overwhelmingly damning rejection 
that she cannot try and present anything, that she'll have to sort of take a wider vote, be it a leadership election, be it, you know, endorsing, saying, fine, general election, put the question to the people again, almost, mm. you know, in order to emphatically have that, you know, mandate for it, to, to take the case elsewhere, given Parliament's not, you know, it'd be fatal, basically. For yeah. her? Yes, of course. I mean, that's the thing, again, does, the, is, does the, the scale of the defeat actually matter in terms of her future? I think it's, yes, absolutely. In terms what, of about what whether, can she survive? Well, this is the thing. In my view, it's if, if she gets something like under 50, then she can think, okay, the argument can still be fought. Yeah. I can still try and chisel away at those 50 numbers. 50 MPs rebelling or, or well, under, losing, yes. losing by 50. Because obviously, you know, it's sort of, and losing by 50, it means you, you're, actually, you're actually only mm. having 25 or 26 people sort of rebel. I mean, mm. whereas actually, if, 100, if, if, if we're talking about 100 MPs voting against the deal, mm. that's a majority of 200, which seems unthinkable. I mean, that splits the party probably fundamentally. I, th- I think it's if it's losing. 50 because then yeah. she can say there's people across the other side as well mm. that she can say to them look yeah. you've listened to the six tests you know the one about the customs union this basically is a customs union yeah. <laughs> sort of so just accept it it's hold your Flint a bit. Yeah, yes and because I mean, yeah. often it, it seems that for for good or bad so many MPs on each side the Remainers and Brexiteers have got it in their heads that the, voting down the deal will force a better deal um, mm. and so therefore they, it seems that they have every reason to vote this thing down in a sense very yeah. few do except basically it seems like the only people the mps who really will vote for this deal are those who are paid to be in the government <laughs> to vote for this deal you might be right um so well we haven't really covered what you think is going to happen then Aza. what's your prediction well right, we, we have in response to nothing but yes. in terms of uh, right see which loses the vote hmm. what happens next do you agree with alan that we have a, a confidence vote or does Depends may on the, resign overnight. Are we, uh, I right. think it depends on the size of the margin. Right, How, what, what is the margin you think? Well, what so think, size of margin do you think it will be? Call it. Oh, geez. Well, this is a. This God, is you're a up one. to your ears in this stuff. You should be. Able I to mean, go, I, oh, I am happy to be proven very wrong indeed. Obviously, you know, we are, many of the, the pundits not thought the Remain would win after all. But, um, I'll give you a range of sort of within. 10. Oh, fine. Don't worry. I think it's. I think it's like, uh, gosh. Uh, I think it's going to be something hilarious, obviously, in terms of the amount. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I think it's, why not around 50 or something? Just a very clear okay. and emphatic. But, uh, you know, there will be some... It, the thing that will be interesting is the, the, the chokers, those right. who promised long tour. We're recording this yeah. on Wednesday. Do you yes. expect Theresa May to be Prime Minister next Wednesday? Yes, but fighting for her life. OK, do you expect Theresa May to be Prime Minister at Christmas? I'm going to say yes, but not promising to eat hats or cake or anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't need cheap yeah. publicity like. Um, yeah. Oh, no, hang on. There's Matt Man's in UK Changing Europe, isn't he? Oh, oh. Matt Matthew Goodwin. Matthew Goodwin. Professor Matthew Goodwin, yeah. He ate yeah. a book, didn't he? He liked like, um, a page of the book. I mean, can we. I don't know whether. So we're sitting here the day after hmm. these defeats for the government in Parliament. Yeah. And this, and this sense, actually, and I. I, re- I thoroughly recommend Ace's uh, column that he's written today on all this, of whether or not there's something at play here, whether or not that, that the government are conducting a strategy whereby they're trying to yeah. mm. you know, the pincer movement to try and get some of these people that are pro-Brexit to, to vote for the deal and give mm. them no choice before next week. And yeah. I mean, it's whether or not there is something at play here or whether or not they're, they're trying to constrain the options for these MPs and really say crystallise it as this is it, folks. I mean, do, do you think that do you think that'll work for these for these MPs? I mean, I mean, obviously, on one level, we may be flattering the government by thinking there's a grand plan. It's a bit house of cards, isn't it? But you know, if we, you know, we're all optimists, you may think there's of, of something. They may 
trying to think of some strategy, and this is why I was trying to ponder, because obviously I've been astonished by the legal advice route and how they've handled this, because yes, while I sympathise with the idea of, okay, independence and you know confidentiality of legal advice, they've really mishandled that route, given that last yeah. month they c- didn't contest the vote. Clearly admitting defeat, mm. conceding they have to cough up their advice. And then they suddenly turn around and go, actually, we don't want to. Can, can we not? Can we like reinterpret this ruling and spend weeks trying to argue sort of differently? And then they throw out Jeffrey Cox and he argued, he said, answer all the questions uh, to his credit. Fine, that's great. And then suddenly to sort of release it today with very sort of bitter, sort of, oh, MPs will regret this, as Andrew Ledson said. <laughs> yeah. and you're thinking, okay, just when you're trying to reach out across Parliament, you're burning the bridges. You're fraying the tensions there, sort of saying, okay, right you can't really trust us so we're not really going to cough things up as you want and also because we've not learned we've learned nothing new from the advice anyway so mm. all this sort of hysterical defensiveness for basically what the backstop can't be cancelled by one side <laughs> and also it's there as an insurance policy you know it's not earth shattering so it's not Machiavelli it's yes. uh, yeah. and yeah, the evidence it, that they're Machiavellian geniuses is, is weak so this is where like, my, my theory is if you're trying to search for a theory is maybe they're trying to engineer a crisis this Tuesday rather than next Tuesday so in other words yeah. have some humiliating Tuesday where they can say to Brexiteers look this is dangerous spiralling out of control Dominic Greaves just passed an anti-no deal amendment that you know let's we can argue about whether it definitely takes it off the table or not makes it less likely definitely mm. and so you know are we being shoved towards softer softer Brexit or you know reach Parliament or my deal please back my deal stop arguing about common external tariffs and oh yeah. god the backstop you know sort of that is possibly the theory, but given, as we know, the great tools of Theresa May's uh, seem to be apathy and fear, in a sense, like the Spanish Inquisition, our tools are surprise, fear and apathy, you know, and anyway, so it seems that she's relying on that again. I think you are just uh, doing that human thing of looking for patterns. So I mean, it's a basic human trait to look for patterns. Trying to make sense out of the madness yeah. is what we're all doing. But there's, any, there's no evidence for what you're saying there, is there? There's look, no evidence. We may find plan. in Tim Shipman's book three or, you know, oh, whatever um, my colleague Pete Foster writes, that there is three. a secret grid strategy. As we know from the grid that Menon was going to be activated. And, you know, well, yes. He and remains ever active. Going to be activated, well, he's like yes. a volcano. He's ready to go at any point. He's been activated. Exactly. That's why he's not here. He's got off to see Jeremy Vine instead. And yeah, to be offered Jeremy the ambassadorship to the world or something. To be offered the ambassadorship yeah. to somewhere nice. I don't soon. know. I think yeah. he's flying to Birmingham or the something. The main thing from the, the Jer- Jeremy Carl, uh, not Jeremy Carl, Jeremy Vine show today was. We can't do Norway. The price of beer in Norway is so expensive. We can't do. We can't be like Norway. Well, and then he had to explain that's that what people actually care about, though, isn't it? That is a good my point. My boss, hmm. Professor Menon, had to explain that. I mean, that's because of taxation well, in, yes. uh, in in Scandinavia rather than its model of customs or. It's actually interesting you're talking about you know, beer and people caring about that, particularly when you equate these scenarios, because. Um, the thing that struck me recently about, let's say, supply chains, just-in-time delivery. Yes. Yeah, my, my favourite way of trying to understand, surely, what would matter to people on the ground is, you remember a few months ago when KFC couldn't deliver chicken <laughs> yes. to shops? And there was all those, like, I'm going to Burger King. Yes. Oh, that's it. This is terrible. Yes. What's wrong? Like, this, this, you know, without getting all sort of IOD, CBI or yeah. rights sort of thing, it's kind of important. Yeah, <laughs> So just it's, imagine if there's shortages of other things. Yeah. Long-time listeners to this podcast will know I was banging on about Lego this time last year, going that people haven't noticed anything about Brexit other than the price of Lego is going up. We're in the run-up to Christmas, hmm. so people are suddenly going to notice the price of Lego, all right? That's when it actually people buy lots of Lego. Hmm. Um, I haven't noticed this year whether it has or not, but that's because I haven't bought my Christmas presents yet. Um, <laughs> well, it probably but, goes to an office because of the Mars bars as well. Is that, is that correct? There was something about 
uh, Mars bar shortages that convinced him to, mm. to stay, in, stay in post. Oh yes, and the, the sort of drinking water, whether it's clean and fluoridized <laughs> and. Uh, hey, hang on, yeah. I've missed this. What, Mars bar the water's going to be dirty, and there's going to be no Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> really? No deal Brexit. Absolutely, we really are. Well, of course, that may be because of it. It's the Mail on Sunday, and obviously Harry Cole is a consummate, excellent reporter. But it may just be rather useful to justify kind of how the deal's the best bet, and therefore they're having sort of showing oh. the prospects. And I'm just trying to also tell readers why Michael Gove is staying put then, because also Gove is said to be not really wanting this no deal to happen. He feels a certain yes. sense of ownership as well, Mr. Vote Leave. Good. Talking about Mail on Sunday, uh, he brings us smoothly into the uh, the Daily Mail question: hmm. uh, Is it true? Have you been issued with a grand telegraph master plan that now that the Daily Mail has gone a bit remainery, you've got to steal all their uh, Brexit-loving voters, uh, readers? Uh, I think the mail does what the mail does. Yeah, but the mail is doing we, something different now. Of course. But and obviously, the, you know, we, we are ever observant of yeah. know, what other papers are saying and yeah. doing, you know, as one, as one must and does. But... I wouldn't say that a switch has been flicked and that suddenly we're ramping anything up in particular. We, we are what we are. All right, you've always Brexit been means chasing... Brexit, Telegraph means Telegraph. We <laughs> remain. Okay, so you've always been chasing Brexit voters, but suddenly hmm. there's a big pool of them become available because the mail has rejected them. Well, then... I would say that that is fair, and that clearly they are. Well, you're aware of many, many readers are realizing that there's. You know, we are one of the few papers that still are robustly eurosceptic then, that are robustly questioning the prime minister's deal, holding it up to scrutiny, and not afraid to say something better surely as possible in a sense, and you know, sort of uh, not just saying the deal is, you know, accept this deal or you have no drinking water, readers. We we Telegraph has been a lifelong. Sounds like the answer to my question. Yes, exactly. But the Telegraph has been a very vigorously eurosceptic paper for decades. Well, let's not go into that. Yes, some of the things Mm. that have been. Are you proud of everything the Telegraph ever published about Europe? What about Europe? Well, it's been sterling Given stuff. Your, Strong, agenda-leading your, your coverage. Uh, Brussels correspondent and former foreign secretary has been uh, uh, accused over the years of peddling columns that perhaps weren't entirely rooted in reality. Well, that's the nature of Boris for you. He is a provocative man. As, as you can quote, as, as, uh, one of my favourite quotes from him was something where he compared writing a column to chucking a rock over his, uh, I think it was over a wall, and hearing the glass smash on the neighbour's gla- you know, yeah. glass house, basically. He likes to make mischief, you know, to get readers excited. And my gosh, the post bag, whenever he writes, you know, it's evidence thereof. Um, right, let's um, move on and finish up with the features. Starting with Brexit Family Fortunes. It's the new feature. It's Brexit Family Fortunes. And here is your host, James Miller. So, Family Fortunes, of course, involved guessing the answers given by 100 members of the public. Just so happens that UK and Changing Europe has 100 members. They have a thing called the Brexit Policy Panel of 100 experts. Uh, and they ask them questions every month, and we are here to guess what they answered. Okay. So, uh, this is from the October panel. I think we've got a new one coming out next month, next week. Uh, from the October panel, foreign investment from outside the EU. How many of the hundred experts predicted that it will fall after Brexit? Hey, so you guessed this because I compiled the survey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you are recusing yourself. All right, well, Ada can go first. Okay, I will go first and last. Uh, 52%. What do you reckon? Can I remember? Yeah, yeah. That's, this is going to be good. Foreign, foreign, foreign direct investment from outside the EU. Yes. How many predicted it will fall post-Brexit? 40%. <laughs> 
70 percent so oh i compiled the survey oh. he says i've written just... an article i think for uh for, for the telegraph i think you i think you basically steve bakered yourself we've got 48 <laughs> letters it's happening oh, right. i'll give you another shot I'll give you another shot oh then. my goodness a future trade deal to be concluded by December 2020. How many of the hundred? We've, we've established they're quite a negative lot with their 70% yeah. saying it's going to go down yeah. the pan. Well, How many said that a trade deal is, will be is, done by December 2020? Is among them? I doubt it, given <laughs> okay, that he fine. is not an expert. The trade... <laughs> he, he writes for us. <laughs> he writes for us as well. I mean, he's, he's been an R. I, I, uh, I still... <laughs> Still stand by it. Fine. <laughs> yeah, the tr the trade deal won't be completed in time. Thing everyone agrees on that. I think so, seventy eight percent. So you're saying twenty four percent said it will be concluded. Yeah. Okay. Eighty two. So you're saying eighteen percent said it will be concluded. Sixteen mm. percent. Oh, pretty good, Asa. I'll oh. give you a point for that. So Asa's more uh, remainery than. Or is that where, how does that work? No, so I can just tell how the policy panels yeah, think. 16% think, oh yeah, they're pretty negative. How do academics think about Brexit? I, mean, and, yeah. um, <laughs> I like to include this one because uh, it, it's, you know, it's pretty uh, accurate or not. Uh, the UK and the EU to sign a withdrawal agreement by the end of November. A hundred policy experts established by the UK and a changing Europe. Of that hundred, how many correctly predicted that the UK and the EU will sign a withdrawal by the end of November? When were they surveyed? In October. Okay. <laughs> um, I just thought because thought, if you were signing them this month, that would be, be a yeah. bit. We may be swept this one under the carpet, I think. Oh, yeah. it's, in your room. it's on the UK. <laughs> oh, it's going to be website. something. Oh, God, like 55%. God, how many God. think that there, how many thought there was going to be a deal in yeah, November? Yeah, signed by the end of November. It wasn't very high. It was something like ten percent. Eleven percent. Eleven. We need names, right? If you've done it, Alan, find me the names. I eleven of the eleven. Well, it's an the eleven that correctly. No wonder Patrick Smith is not part of this panel. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have got it right. Um, <laughs> Let's finish with uh, the with Alan's career, uh, <laughs> the new Steve Baker, as he's now known. Uh, no, let's finish with um, the recommendations feature, which is called what's it called, Alan? If you're interested in Brexit, oh, not even close. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Uh, what would you recommend to anybody who wants to understand Brexit? And lots of people do. Um, you know, books, films, TV, music, we've had all sorts. What would you recommend, Asa? Well, besides the given of my Brexit bulletin... You're not allowed to recommend yourself. ...pinging into your inbox. Uh, Star Wars 1, Phantom Menace. Whoa. <laughs> OK, that's a big shout. To um, understand about when a mass federation tries to blockade a small, <laughs> you know... Sort of, country, nation, planet, you may call it, an entity, and the nature of how a federation likes to negotiate trade deals, yeah. right. and also there's lightsabers, so it's much more entertaining than that, So, and in there's this, lots of discussion about morality. In this analogy, yes. who is Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader? Well, Anakin is very much a federalist, because yeah. he wants to consolidate power, So that's, and so I'm not saying it's sort of like a young Donald Tusk. Right, but, you know, okay. you can see there's so a the EU are the empire. They're the baddies in this analogy. Well, in a sense, I'm not going to say the fourth order, but you know, they're... who is that guy with the red face and the horn sticking out his head? Oh, Darth Maul. Yeah. Oh, Martin Selmay. Right. Okay. He's quite the double-edged lightsaber. End, he? he doesn't what? speak, and then he, he just gets cut off. He's but rubbish. he has a double-edged lightsaber, and it's really cool. That is true. <laughs> and like, he spins go, around. Oh, he grunts. True, but Mar have you ever heard Martin speak? No. 
Did there you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, and who are the goodies? There's, uh, there's Brian Blessed. It's like a big frog, isn't he? Yes. Oh, Jar Jar Binks. Right. Who's Jar Jar Binks in this analogy? Boris. Right. Everyone hates him. <laughs> well, he not talks so... funny and everyone hates him. I'm going to agree with the first and part. And he might be a bit racist. I'm going to agree with the first part. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good analogy. Um, <laughs> not everyone hates Boris Johnson. I mean, uh, you know. I mean, everybody... <laughs> he is much loved in these towers. I can that is true. You. Yeah. Yes. All right. yes. I mean, everybody in the uh, Brexit universe. Well, mainly because he's a winner. Well, maybe. Yes. I'm not. Saying and you know, justified. not to make a Donald Trump comparison, but you know, as of yeah, well, you know, it's actually is a... a segue to my to my suggestion. Oh, oh yeah. go on. Are you going for episode two? <laughs> well, I'm saying, and I'm saying, well, this is a banal one, probably compared to the Star Wars one. Yes. Uh, the good folk at conservative home. All right. Mm. All right. Mark Wallace and uh, Phil Goodman. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think they've done a lot of work on all the things we've been talking about today. How many people are actually going to vote for this deal? Come, come the end of it. Come next week. What do these What do these Conservative Party members actually think? They released mm. something today that showed the cabinet is more unpopular than ever. Because the Conservative Party members, the Telegraph readers, are you know not happy at the moment. Um, and so they've done a lot on the numbers. In Parliament and outside it, and they do, and they put some brilliant. There's a blog by uh, someone who used to work for the Whips Office saying, "What is going on here? There must be something at play here." So they, they've they've actually come into their own a bit over the, over the last couple of weeks. So mm. that is a the good, folk at Conservative Home. That's a good recommendation, and the, the connection. That would have been my second choice. The connection being, <laughs> but Phantom that, Menace picked it. Yeah, no, what was the connection? I, I mean, I prefer yours. The connection being that they understand who likes Boris and that they, 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 yeah, uh, they do the, the monthly poll they do the monthly poll and Boris yeah. Okay. Boris, is, uh, Boris peaks and troughs spectacularly in their polling if he's done something outrageous okay. and even if he's done a particularly good telegraph column he'll go up which is but, every week <laughs> apparently yeah. <laughs> but I mean yeah so the people are concerned and, and conservative activists read the Daily Telegraph I think I think that's I think that's, thing to I say. Think that's uh, <laughs> incontrovertible that. and thanks to the mail even more will You have been covering Brexit for a long time now. Hmm. Are you bored of it? If not, why not? <laughs> well, I think it's that when I first joined the Telegraph, in the very halcyon days of March 2015, it seemed that so much was you know, clear, boring, on rails. George Osborne was going to be Prime Minister after a thumping Remain win that you know the scary Project Fear tactics that worked in the referendum will work again, for, as did for Scotland, as did for this. Yeah. And then clearly it's fascinating and more interesting for the journalistic trade, the, all these unpredictable elements, it seems. Our preconceptions are knocked down every week. You know, we can try and... There's certain rules. I mean, you only have a stopcock strategy of like, well, maybe there might be a deal. And every week sort of humans with their uh, mentalities on what they want for the deal or no deal continue to surprise. I so mean, no, I'm riveted. You commission, hmm. but you also write the daily... Bullet Brexit Bulletin, as Brexit well as bulletin, a blog. That's it. I was trying to think which one it was. Do all sorts of ad hoc writing when the paper needs to, and uh, you name it, really. I mean, commissioning, in some senses, is the easy bit when it comes to Brexit, because you hmm. can just get other people to give their views, but you've actually got to sum it all up every day. Oh, sure. Oh, that must drive you nuts. I mean, there are certain writers who, uh, you know, you, you definitely have to sort of polish the work yes. very, very rigorously. <laughs> I'm not naming names. I'm a very discreet man. Uh, you know, that's for that's for the after night quiz. You know, when yeah, sort of okay. after the watershed. But I think it's certainly that sometimes there's the raw. You know, there's definitely often is the sort of germs and you know gems of good ideas once you fashion it down into nice sharp, sharp diamond like yeah. insights. Um, or sometimes they're more provocative in a sense. Or it's like when and it's often good fun to be able to message people when they're 
being alluded to in the press. Uh, like yesterday, there's a chap, Christopher Gill, if you remember him, Maastricht rebel, ex-Tory MP. Oh, in the Lord. He was he, kicking off in the yes. chamber. Yeah, sort of shouting and protesting. Right. And uh, I know one of, I know, I think his grandson, John Gill, and no. so who's an <laughs> ex-UKIP press officer. So I messaged the Gills, and they got him to write on a kind of why he was kicking off, what he wanted to say. And obviously, many of our readers, particularly online, some of them clearly remember Maastricht. And they're like, Christopher Gill, good man. Oh, what a <laughs> legend, you know. And so it's good to be able to get these mavericks in, Andrew Lillico and all that. You can really stir up a mischief. My favourite, though, is Tom Harris, any part of our stable, because he's, he's fun. He's light. He's not just... Um, he's, he's very smart with his thinking. He surprises as well. He's, I could go on. It's uh, bromance. Yeah. No, Tom Harris is... Uh, he's an interesting character, isn't he? Because, of course, he was, he's an arch Blairite, mm. but he's become a Leaver, and he led the Leave campaign in Scotland, I believe, didn't yes, he? Yes, yes. Um, he's a very good writer. Well, that's the thing. I think he, he, he engages with the issues. Yeah. And uh, I very much enjoy the writers who often are prepared to be sort of counterintuitive, to be sort of uh, different like this. And so it also he knows that like um, he has to freshen it up a bit. Because mm. he used to be a journalist in Scotland yes, back in the day. Yes, he's quite provocative. Yes, so he's able to sort of... And, and he's got a good range as well. So mm. it's not just like, I will have this man say, no deal is great. And he says, no deal is great, like a performing chimp. You know, no, it's fine. Instead, you can talk about Doctor Who. You can talk about... Well, you can you talk know. about Doctor Who. God, oh, God. God. I remember sitting on the terrace with him, pointing out that isn't Doctor Who uh, that, right? This is going to go down a treat online. Isn't Doctor Who only supposed to have twelve regenerations, and then it's all over? Mm. And then we're now on what we're on Doctor Who number fifteen or something. We're well past yes. twelve, anyway. So yeah. it's like, how does that work? And he explained to me why that twelve thing wasn't actually true, and it was only mentioned once by Tom Baker or something. I was like, oh. <laughs> shouldn't have started this one. Should I shouldn't have started this one. Um, I still think Doctor Who should only have twelve regenerations, but you know. Well, that's a very traditionalist <laughs> view. Um, Alan, but I mean, on this, just, I mean, mm. is your balance? I mean, Tom Harris is a Labour lever. Yes. You have, what's your sort of balance of Remain to Lever on, on the staple of the online, and is wow. it now going to have to shift to supporters of? May's deal versus non-supporters of May's deal. Do you, do you have how do you sort of balance this? I mean, I think provided they bring something you know useful yeah. and insightful to the debate in that sense, we obviously okay. have an open door to it because uh, th- there's been very easy to tar our stable oh. as you're all a bunch of you know fervent uh, Brexiteers and you want yeah. to. Obviously, many of them are keynote remainers in a sense, mm. like William Hague, for example. Mm. And you know, I think last year we had you know Jeremy Corbyn writing our paper. Admittedly, it was a tactical plan to try and woo mm. Tory-leaning voters with this kind of oh everyone have you thought about Labour I'm quite nice and you yeah. know sort of thing um, but needless to say now if you look at the writers um, you know they, they, many of them are expressing personal opinions about Brexit of course mm. you know Phil Johnson and Tim Stanley they are Eftarians as I'm going to say uh, they, you know they like Norway they're yeah. in the heart of hearts they're more sovereignists I thought you were swearing oh, oh, Eftarians <laughs> oh, yeah, they're like Efter, I, see. I know I know it's, it's a thing I'm trying to push on I think Christian Neem it's the IA coined that term. Oh. Um, I think normally he uses for us to smug Eftarians because they always oh. say, oh, no, yeah. you just did this. Um, and uh, if you look at the deal, for example, uh, like Juliet Samuel, she's a re- very interesting piece that Michael Gove uh, highlighted on Twitter in which he she fleshes out the argument of the back, you know, about the backstop. It not necessarily being a bad thing, you know, how it unravels the European project. And obviously, Michael Gove did highlight this saying, "Very good piece by Juliet Samuel." Although he didn't comment on the fact that Juliet Samuel also said Theresa May should go in April. Then, <laughs> ah. <laughs> sort of unspoken, oh. needless to say. So ah. we, brothers, perceptive stuff. You know, yeah. we're willing to consider it, but I. 
I mean, in the long, slow summer, I mean, was there much news coming out from Europe? I mean, was I mean, there was a lot of it was back room negotiations. Was there mm. any point where you struggled to get the email out in terms of it's always going when there was the tunnel and mm. so on? Did it become a lot more difficult to say this is what's going on day by day when no one really? Knew? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't going to just fill it with uh, <laughs> baseless speculation about what's <laughs> no, in the tunnel no. and just imagine Ollie <laughs> Robbins and Michelle Varnier, the you know, uh, the mischief that could be happening. Um, I think at those points, I've just taken an interesting sort of hiatus, a sort of uh, Hunter S. Thompson wander down the beaten track <laughs> and say. Let's talk about Germany for some reason. You know, let's lead yeah. on what's happening over there. The AFD, or yeah. sort of have a musing on populism or something. Uh, just that's quite a good thing, though. I mean, to some extent, that's what we need in the debate right now. It all well, feels so 100 miles an hour that it'd be quite nice to step back and go, what actually is going on? Well, because we are in the anywhere else? High, highest speed part of the tunnel, where it just seems to be going up to Tuesday and what's going to happen to meaningful vote. And, you know, who knows, frankly, because of all the sort of uh, domino effects of. Uh, well, if it goes through, then everyone enjoys Christmas. If it doesn't, then there may be a second vote. What happens uh, then? Oh, everyone oh. enjoys Christmas anyway. No, I but, think that's quite no, but would you enjoy Christmas knowing that there could be the second vote around the horizon? Well, I, I do think that's second. quite fascinating, that everyone, everything will stop for Christmas. No matter yeah. what, everything, well, sure Christmas that's... trumps everything. No. No, no, well, Christmas is why the backstop happened. Like in December, yes. yeah, there yeah, was a big true. rush to get it done. Yeah, a year ago. And yeah, so yeah. never underestimate the power of Christmas. Yeah, just to like have a holiday. It's but there magic. is the thing: if, if there's a, a, a defeat for May on the 11th and then a confidence vote on the 12th, and she loses, mm. there's 14 working, 14 days, not working days, that, that another government has to come up with a new majority. So is that it, would, it's 14 days because I did wonder that. It's today. 14 days. So it right. would be Parliament returning on Boxing Day. There is, is there's no specification on whether it's a weekend or anything yeah. like that. So, okay. And I mean, it would be thought of as, you know, a sort of crisis if the, if the DUP do. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what Ace thinks about the, the likelihood of that, of the DUP abstaining or whatever, or voting mm. against May, mm. if there were a confidence vote. I, I mean, assume you think it's pretty unlikely. The one certainty I've, I've observed the other day was uh, Chris Hanretti pointing out, I think logistically, it is impossible to have a general election this year. But with the DUP, it does seem to be that, well... For example, it strikes me with the legal advice we've had out recently. Right, so you're right. Let's wind this back, right? If we're going to go there, let's go there okay. step at a time. Right? <laughs> well, let's okay. go with. Let, oh, let, no, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me fall Sorry backwards into this for a second because yeah. I was just to say with the DUP, they're going. They've been frothing over the last few weeks about you know how Northern Ireland's going to be treated differently. Uh, I under don't the think it's controversial to say the DUP have been frothing since they were created. Well, <laughs> but even more so with vigour <laughs> at this point, vociferously. And uh, the thing is, it's just increasingly obvious and confirmed as such that Northern Ireland would be treated subtly differently, a bit more alignment and, you know, binded in, into the European project under the backstop. So, you know, they, we've, you to use the Gwyneth Paltrow phrase, we've seen the sort of the conscious decoupling or the uncoupling <laughs> of nice. the DUP Tories. That is some cool Brexit thing exactly. going in there. I thought I'd try and be down with the millennial daily. listeners, you yeah, know. Nice and because uh, they seem to be, you know, the agreement's all in, in, t- in tatters, not in observance anymore. So it's sort of written off, which is weird. So you almost... To my reading, it's basically the government's trying to work out do you know, how to use the threat of Labour support. Because, yes, right. Well, yeah. Let's 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 rewind it and just try and pick our way through. First of all, hmm. by pointing out that actually Gwyneth Paltrow isn't very cool, is she? We're just all showing our age and lack of coolness <laughs> exactly, there. Exactly. If you were really cool, you would have said Zendaya or something like that. Well, Danny Dyer. No, Zendaya. <laughs> Who? She's famous. She's the, the one the young people like. She's Zoella in, uh, or something. No, no, not Zoella. Zendaya. She's in. Um, God, you're too cool for the, me. The circus thing. Oh. Um, the Greatest Showman, isn't she? She's in oh. the Greatest Showman. Yeah. yeah. I, I I tried to watch that on a flight once and fell asleep.
Well, I had a lovely chat with Alan and Ava. Worth pointing out that the night before, we'd all been at the UK in a Changing Europe Christmas Brexit quiz. They know how to live those wonks. Uh, I might be mentioning that because my team beat Aza's team by a clear 10 points. I'm not saying that makes me the bigger expert on Brexit. That is for other people to say. Other people might also say I got lucky with my teammates. Not, not in that way, you know, in the teammates that I got assigned. Uh, I don't mean, you know, like that. Um, the uh, uncut version of that chat uh, was even more fun, it has to be said. But unfortunately, it contains a number of statements that are borderline libelous. So no one can ever hear that. If you've got thoughts on anything in that podcast, or you've worked out the link between family fortunes and Brexit, and there's a prize for the first person that does, then get in touch. I am at Political Yeti on Twitter or on the email you'll get me at UK in a Changing Europe podcasts at gmail.com or go straight to the UK in a Changing Europe. They are at UK and EU on the Twitter and their website is UK and EU.ac.uk. My website is james-miller.com and you'll find all the recommendations from the whole series and the previous series there if you're interested. Um, I'd love to hear from you about that or anything, frankly. I'd just like to hear from you. Please send me a message, prove you're listening and also rate and review us on your podcast provider. The music this week has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back soon for another episode. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.